Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, for the next few weeks, most likely three, possibly four weeks, we're going to be focusing on great alternative slash post-punk bands, British bands of the 80s. And first up is David Newton, guitarist for one of the great ones, The Mighty Lemon Drops. Now, they had so many great songs back in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. They never quite made the A-team in the States with bands like the Smiths or Echo and the Buddymen, who they are consistently compared to. But they were strongly on the B-team with bands like Ride, Trash Can Sinatra's, Charlatan's, Stone Roses. Excellent band with excellent songs. I, this one that you're listening to here, Inside Out, one of my all-time favorites. It's on my running playlist. Anyway, I thought it'd be really interesting to hear from David and find out a little bit more about what he's doing now. He was not entirely the creative driver of the band, but he wrote a lot of the songs. And now he's a producer and engineer in LA. I gotta say, this conversation was a lot of fun. And we, we touch on so many bands that mean a lot to me and that are so great. And as regular listeners know, Anytime me or a guest ever bring up a band or a song, we always try to play a snippet of it so to give everyone context of what we're talking about. But in this one, the references come so fast and furious, it just didn't make sense to keep piling on these cues when they were coming so quickly. So I hope that anyone listening hears names like Echo and the Bunny Men and Stone Roses and Charlatans or whatever, Ned's Atomic Dustbin. And you think, I got to go back and listen to my stuff and let it rekindle your love for those bands. It certainly did for me. Anyway, he's a great guy. This is a great conversation. He called me from his home in L.A. I do have to ask the most obvious question first, and you got to explain where the name The Mighty Lemon Drops came from. And then I promise that'll be one of the last obvious <laughs> <laughs> well, again, the Wikipedia, the Wikipedia page is incorrect because he says that we were formerly called the Sherbet Monsters. Yeah, I read was. that everywhere, that was, too. That was a name that we would occasionally do when we got a bit a little more popular. We would do low-key shows and we'd use that name. And it was kind of, it was like one of the names that was thrown about. But Paul the singer, Tony the bass player, and myself had been in a band before in like 82 or something called Active Restraint, which I know is a really embarrassing post-punk band name. Mm. But uh, then we kind of like, we, we, we sort of folded that and I played with a band called The Wild Flowers for a while, for about a couple of years, okay. and uh-huh. we did okay. Then I I got back together, I started hanging out with Paul, the singer again. He, he was, I mean, we were both technically unemployed. I was in The Wild Flowers, but I didn't really have a job. And Paul okay. had lost his job, so we were in Wolverhampton and the West Midlands, and so we decided to put this band together, and Tony was into it again. And our original drummer was Martin Jilks, who ended up, uh, he joined the band The Wonder Stuff. I don't know if you remember yep. them. Sure, and, I love uh, them. Yeah. So, yeah, Martin was with us. He, he was on our first recordings, and he played with us for about, I don't know, about five or six months. And then we got Keith in the band, and that lineup remained pretty much mm-hmm. uh, for years after. But uh, uh, so the, the name thing was. Tony had the name The Mighty Lemon Drops, and he really wanted to call the band that. My idea for a name at the time was The Railway Children. Nothing to do with the band from Manchester. The other band, The Railway Children. They didn't (laughs) exist at that time, but it was my idea, because it's a a famous British kind of early 60s kind of film 
you know, that's uh, oh. Jenny Agatha was the actress. And okay. The, so I kind of wanted that, and then, like, it's like, oh, what are we going to be? Are going to be the Railway Children or the Mighty Levendorfs? And we ended up, I think we thought, you know, the Mighty Levendorfs have got the edge on it. So we went with that, and our friends had a band, and I, I said, you know, you should use the name the Railway Children. So they did. And then, <laughs> like, six months later, they got a, a, a lawsuit from this band, from actually from Factory Records, who the Railway Children yeah. were on, when they said... And basically, a season desist thing, saying that you can't use that name anymore. So it's like, God, I'm glad, really, really glad we became no the Lewandowski, but not the Railway Children. So there were at away. some, there could have potentially been at some point three different bands with the name the Railway Children that out is, there. Absolutely, absolutely. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been pretty crazy, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> It was the Mighty Eleven Tops, and then, of course, Sire Records put in our press release that uh-huh. previously called the Sherbet Monsters. So yeah. like, every entry we would do for like years yeah. and years and years would bring that <laughs> up. And it would be like, oh, well, yeah. no. We were, I mean, we were, we were never called the Sherbet Monsters. Yeah. I, I, okay. I don't know where that came from. But, every bio uh, I've read of you guys has said the same thing, Sherbet Monsters. <laughs> it's still out there. It won't go away. It won't go away. <laughs> yeah. You came up during the height of the musical movement that means most to me and has shaped me more than any, probably any other artistic revolution in history, which is the alternative British 80s bands. That whatever what? was going on in the 80s in London from an alternative perspective, and late 70s too, is like my very favorite kind of music. I mean, you're coming up with these bands. Like, I'm, I mean, you know, the Smiths and Echo and the Bunnymen and the Furs and Simple Minds. Yep. And I'm imagining all of you guys sort of playing similar gigs and you're watching each other sort of graduate uh, among the ranks. Is that, is that what's yes. going on? I mean, it was really. It was um, a lot of those bands actually achieved things on a slightly bigger level than, than what we did. They started yeah. early. All of the bands you mentioned started earlier than we did. You know, okay. It's funny that because when I was in, before the Lemon Drops, I was in, I was really young. I was like 18, 19. The band The Wildflowers, as I mentioned, that was in. We actually opened mm-hmm. for Simple Minds on the Sparkle in the Rain. Simple Minds are kind of like almost, not quite stadium level, but getting towards that. that That's point. true. I guess so, yeah. They had just Jim reached Kirk. that in around 85, and your first album was 86. So, yeah, that's probably true. It was 86. True. Yeah. So I remember, I remember reading an interview with Jim Kerr at the time, and he said that, you know, his, basically his goal is to make music that will kind of fill stadiums, and how mm. disappointed he was when he, he'd seen the Jam, who were a huge, huge, huge band in the UK. But when they got to the level that they were playing in huge aircraft hangars and stadiums that, they didn't. Jim Kerr reckoned that they didn't really have the sound that was mm. was it was better in smaller venues and clubs. Which I do agree with that to some degree. Yeah. But it was, and he said that that's what Simple Minds had set out to do was to make a bigger, more cinematic kind of tone yeah. and noise. So it's funny you mention that, but that's one thing that I do remember. But okay. it was good, really. I mean, when we when. When we started playing, it was kind of, you know, our influences were, were like bands like Echo and the Bunnymen and the Tears mm-hmm. of Explodes and mm-hmm. like what they call the post-punk bands. Like, sure. like Gang, yep. Gang of Four was a big influence on me, especially the guitar sound yep. and that. And obviously we'd all come through 
you know, we're all at the age that, I mean, basically, you know, punk rock changed out. The, the kind of yep. British punk scene was we're all, you know, I was about 13, 14 in 1977. And so many of the other guys. And that was what yeah. kind of bonded us. That's why myself and Paul, the Paul Marsh, the singer, went to sure. high school together. And there was a bunch of us that would buy this guy out on Saturday. He lived for buying the new Buzzcock single or the new, oh. you know, whatever, whatever the, yeah. the you know, the, the, the great record to buy was. And then we, when we became, it was like 79, 80, we were of age where we could kind of sneak still underage into like clubs to see bands play. Uh-huh. And uh, that's where we, we met Tony and Keith, the drummer at uh, okay. a club in, in Dudley called, which is about five miles from where we grew up called JP's and, I mean, man, like, I mean, we saw, like, like, everyone there. I mean, it was... Oh, wow. You know, like, uh, I think the Bunnymen, Tear of Explodes, and, and uh, uh, OMD played within, oh. I think, within the same two weeks. It was like oh. 75, 75 pence to get in, 75 pence. Just about oh. $1.20 or something. Uh, but everyone, like, you know, I mean, the Pretenders, every, everybody yeah. went to that club because there was... You know, when you're coming up, there's a syndicate of clubs, same as there is now, you know, like where you can kind of play at that level. It was like 275 capacity and you yeah. know, 35 pence for a pint of bitter. Jeez. Yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> Jeez. So that's, that's kind of what shaped, you know, and we just got to know loads of people, you know, yeah. who are in bands, many of whom I'm still friends with. Like, you know, it's funny because I live in LA and like, yeah, I think Clint Mansell used to be in Pop Elite itself, and yeah, uh, they were. Yeah, he's who's now is he's, he's a really, really, really well respected film composer. And, oh, really? Uh, like, yeah, he does all the Darren Aronofsky movies and the oh, you know, like interesting. The Black Swan, for yeah, I didn't know that. Pop Elite itself were another band that was formed at this club, JB's, pretty much. It was like all these people okay. that just go there and uh, and the wonder stuff. They okay. were all JB's regulars. Okay. As were, Ned, as were Ned's Atomic Dustbin as well. Yeah, there you go. There's another name. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. And Ride. I'm, you know, Ride is probably coming out around that time. Ride was around uh, that time. They, 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 they weren't from our area. They were from Oxford, I believe. But, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's funny, it's funny you mentioned that because Ride got signed. They were actually they were third on the bill to the Mighty Lemon Drop. At a show in London in I think 1989, 1990. Really. Seymour Stein from Sire happened to be there. He was there because he was a record label kind of boss in the US, and he uh-huh. also had his eye on Ryan. He'd heard them, and, and they basically got signed after that show. After no um, way. He saw them at uh, yeah. It was yeah. In fact, I'm telling you, it was January early January 1990, and that was just wow. when we were about to go on tour for. Um, in the U.S. for for laughter with the Ocean yeah. Blue and John Wesley Harding. Oh, the Ocean Blue! They're like <laughs> another top ten all-time favorite band of mine. Oh, oh man, man yes. Yeah, oh boy, that, See, that this is what a, I'm saying. You're just t- these are all my touchstones. You know, that was a motherfucker of a tour, man. I mean, that was it was like four months, like a hundred and twelve, hundred and five. Oh my gosh! So it shows or something with the. Uh, so uh, yeah, we're still you know we're still in touch as well. We're still friends. Oh wow! I actually played with them last year. They did a 25th anniversary or 20th or 25th. I can't remember what you've been. Twenty fifth anniversary 
of their first album, and they played a show in LA, and I actually really? they played. They played the Lemon Drops inside out, and I got up and played 12 string electric guitar with her. Oh, man. <laughs> it's kind, of, kind of bizarre after all those years. But I bet. I love them, and I live in Denver, as we've established, but I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't remember, I don't remember if you guys, I never saw the Lemon Drops, but the Ocean Blue okay. used to come through. They still to this day are fairly big in Salt Lake City, and so when yeah. they don't tour anymore, and so I was hoping that the B- Ocean Blue would hit the Midwest somewhere, Salt Lake or Denver, uh, on that tour, and they didn't, and I was really hoping they would, because they're another one of my all-time favorites. But So, now, one of the things that comes up whenever I do a lot of, you know, when I start researching or talking about the Mighty Lemon Drops, is it feels like it's always part of the party line for the Lemon Drops is that you're always being compared to another band. So like the, like Echo <laughs> and the Bunnymen, right? Yeah. Who, by the way, I just saw in concert a couple of nights ago here in Denver. And Any it was good? one of the best shows I've ever seen. They they nailed it. Yeah. And uh, no, by the way... Do. We'll, I've seen them several times over the years. Yeah. And by the way, can we... Can we uh, Will Sargent might be one of the most underappreciated guitarists ever. on the water Lips like sugar Lips like sugar Just when you think you've caught her She glides across the water She calls for you tonight To share this moonlight I think so. I agree. I mean, really? I certainly. Okay. Yeah, I mean. If you uh, don't agree with me, you can say that. But no, I, I just I was watching agree. him, thinking he's amazing and he he deserves more credit. Anyway, I just saw them the other night. You know, you know, one other thing that's funny too. When um, we recorded a lot at a studio in Wales called Rockfield Studios, where the Bunnymen did their first two albums, mm. and we'd also we never worked with him, but we'd run into. Um, uh, the producer, what's his, uh, what's his name again? Da, 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 he did the first two albums. Yeah, I know. I'd have to, I'd have to look it up. But um, he said that you know, Ian McCulloch is a really underrated rhythm guitarist. Like he really was the backbone of those first couple of albums. And Hugh Jones is the name of the producer, by the way. That's okay, that's it. it. But he said that you know, he said like McCulloch, you know, like he. No way. And it's un, uh, it, but it's kind of annoying that he, he he's not played guitar in about fifteen years. I don't think yeah. he just stands there. And they, I think they have yeah. another guy playing the rhythm parts. But they do. It's kind of one of the rock world's great losses, really, because that's true. You know, we even who played, knew? I mean, I, I, yeah, no, yeah. But uh, I've seen so, him a couple yeah. times, and no, he never plays anything, and he never takes his sunglasses off, 
and there's never <laughs> even a light. There's never a spotlight on him. So he's almost Sorry. kind of in silhouette the whole time. And yeah. he stands there like Liam Gallagher. And so I, I uh, but luckily, you know, and his voice, he can't hit the high notes anymore. But he's so, he's yeah. still, it was, I actually got choked up a couple times listening to them the other night. But no, I, I, the I, point, I, I have to agree. You know what I mean? You hear these songs uh, that you grew up on, and and you just you re, you're flooded with how much they mean to you. And you guys are yep. in that same category for me. But everything I read about the Mighty Lemon Drops always is saying, you know, it compares you to them or other yes, bands. And I'm wondering if you ever <laughs> felt, yeah, did you ever feel slighted by that? Were you ever thinking, hey, our songwriting is strong enough on its own. We don't need to be Echo and the Bunnymen's stepbrothers. You know? Well, you know, I mean, I won't deny that there was an influence uh, by Echo, but there was equal uh, amounts of that as there was, you know. I, I mean, a lot of the other bands from that period, like ones I'd mentioned before, like Teardrop mm-hmm. Explodes and like War Heat, you know, sure. a lot of 60s, like 60s psychedelic stuff, you know, the punk rock stuff. But, you, you know, I mean, it, it's 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 an easy comparison to make because if you only really listen to one or two songs of the Lemon Drops, mm-hmm. then it, it, it does evoke Echo and the Bunny. I won't deny that, but sure. But to say that that's the only thing that we were, were like listening to or that we totally purposely tried to, you know, steal that sound is, is actually mm-hmm. not true because, yeah. you know, we kind of, I don't know, we had, we went to like garage band 60s stuff at that, you know, it was, Basically, sure. what happened was after after the punk thing, we all kind of like looked at the the bands that came out. I mean, the the I keep saying post punk, but a lot of those bands from that period were as important almost as as the original wave of punk bands were. And, you know, we'd like read interviews with them, and they have references from bands like whether it was I know the Seeds or the Thirteen Floor Elevators or mm-hmm. the Velvet Underground, obviously, and that was an influence from that from what they were listening to. So we sure. basically took a lot from the bands that the, <laughs> okay. the bands that we were compared to were listening to. Yeah, was a lot that of makes that sense. Stuff and the psych, okay. psych stuff and the early Sid Barrett era, Pink Floyd. Sure. And we, that was the, the influence on us, really. As yeah. much as... Okay. And I won't deny that, that those Liverpool bands and all those bands weren't an influence because they were, but... But yeah. it is kind of it kind of got annoying when it you know it was yeah. lazy journalism you know it's just like oh here yeah. we go it's like you know getting yeah. compared to a kind of winner and again it's like well you know yeah, that's that's been said that's been done can you not right. think of something a bit more original now yeah oh, I don't know <laughs> yeah I agree you know maybe history will eventually say say otherwise but I just so often it's you're just lumped in the same sentence with each other. And I think that's yeah. unfortunate because I think you guys were strong enough on your own that you don't always have to be compared to somebody else. And we should establish yep, here, David, that you were the primary songwriter and the guitarist. Paul was the lead singer, but you were yep. the primary songwriter and guitarist, correct? Well, here's a, on the first two albums, or there's uh-huh. actually a third mini album in between Happy Head and World Without yep. End. And there's, there's another thing called Out of Hand that came out in between. It yep. was a, Yep. U.S. compilation.
That's one of my favorite song. Lemon Drop songs, by the way, out of hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Good, yeah. Yeah, nice love one. that one. Yeah, good well, one. Well, the, the songwriting anyway. was split because um, my, it was myself and Tony Linehan wrote. We'd both write about an, an equal amount of songs. And we would kind of co-credit them to Newton, Linehan, Linehan, Newton, or whatever, mm-hmm. for the first two albums. Then Tony actually left the band. It would have been, what year was it? Like, seven, uh, uh, 70. <laughs> 80, I think it was late 88. Okay. And then we got Marcus in, yep. who wasn't a songwriter. And I basically ended up writing... Uh, I wrote basically all of the songs from then on for like Laughter, Sound, and Ricochet, the last album. But yeah, but uh, it was up until then. Uh, it was Tony and I, and then okay. after World Without End, it was basically me. I think there was once in a while some of the other guys would contribute a little bit. Uh, yeah, for okay. the most part. Okay. It was, uh, you know, which was, it was kind of good in a while, you know. It was, you know, it was really nice having the, you know, when, when, Tony was in the band, but you know, unfortunately, when he left, like it was, it felt like a big weight to have to come up with, yeah. <laughs> write all the songs. But uh, yeah, but I kind of enjoyed yeah. it. It was good, you know, and and everybody else was there was very rarely any conflict of like I can't really rem- ever remember bringing something to the rest of the guys whose input can't be like understated. By the way. Sure. That they were ever like, oh, no, 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 we don't like that. It was normally like, oh, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> that's well, you're the guy, right? I mean, where well, would I mean, they be you without your not... input? I, yeah, I don't know. You tell been, me. But, I mean, I, I've said this before, too, but I could ne- never be like the front man of a band. Like, um, Paul was everything that I couldn't be, you know. I mean, he was, mm-hmm. had, you know, personality, he had a great voice, he way better voice than what I have. He looked great, and he was, you know, he just was like the front man of a band. And I'd known him since I was like 12, 13 or something. Oh, so wow. It was, you know, it was like effortless, really. Everything just fell into place. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. But I just wonder if you feel like, looking back, did they then and do they now, does the, does the Mighty Lemon Drops get the credit they deserve for being the great standalone band that they are? My personal feeling is not enough. Not enough credit for being as good as you guys were, but I don't know if that dogs you or or if you're <laughs> fine with where you're at or you know what I mean. I don't know if you live with some harsh feelings about that or some regret or if you're fine with your legacy. You, you know, well, I mean, there's a saying, isn't that that says you know you don't get what you deserve, you get what you get. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I'm kind of a, a believer in that because yeah, you know, sometimes I see bands that were kind of from. You know, I mean, when when we like, were, like, starting out, bands like, like the Stone Roses, for instance, would come and see us play in Manchester before they were, like, really known, mm. and, like, the Charlatans who are from more, yeah. like, hometown who are still, you know, great bands, by the way. I'm not putting them down, but it's sometimes when I see that, you know, the Stone Roses are headlining Coachella Festival, it's like, God, that's crazy, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Something uh, just builds, you know, they, some... Well, that, they, I mean, they, you know, they worked and worked, as in, you know, Charlatans mm-hmm. uh, and others. But, uh, you know, we put out our first independent record in 1985. We got signed in 1986. We made, like, you know, six albums for, like, mm-hmm. Fire Warner Brothers Records, a major label. We got yeah. through the U.S., like, 
you know, I can't even remember how many times, once a year for that whole period until, you know, we broke up in late 92, 93. I mean, we didn't even break up. We just, you know, we we knew that we probably weren't going to get a chance. You know, Warner Brothers had given, mm. us, given us six chances. That there yeah. probably wasn't going to be a seventh. <laughs> So that was a qu- so that was a question I had for you though. So you were successful enough to continue for six albums, but not successful yep. enough for Warner Brothers or someone else to continue to invest in you. What is that kind of? It sounds like you're sort of at a kind of at this uncomfortable midsection. You know, you got name recognition, yeah. you get played on the radio, you can tour, but you're not breaking through necessarily on a wider scale. Is that the frustration that's going on? It was not frustration, but that is the case, yes. Mm. We didn't really, you know, when we made laughter, it was, it wasn't an attempt, but we kind of like, you know, we made a more kind of polished, produced sounding totally. record. Because that album is huge. That, And it was like, we kind of like thought that. We saw bands like the Psychedelic Furs. And mm-hmm. I mean, at the time, even like bands like Flesh for Lulu were like... Yeah, oh, got there like you a, go. They, yeah, well, they got a, a, like a... You know, they, like I Go Crazy was a pop hit. It was on Top yeah. 40 Radio and stuff. Sure. And I mean, we didn't like... How can I put it? We didn't like intend... We didn't compromise what we were doing to do that. But we no. thought that, yeah, you know, if we make the right record, we could possibly get yep. to that. Sort of level. Well, I mean, and that record kind of did. I mean, it was the only one that got into the Billboard 200. Uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, you 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 just you you just do what you do, really. I yeah. mean, there was never okay. too much of a, you know, the the only thing that we ever did, which was because the album that followed, yeah, which was called Sound, Sound, it was it was an artistic and commercial failure, yeah. really, for the most part, right. Yeah. 
not an album that any of us in the band, I can speak for everyone on this one, that are not proud of, are not happy with the way it turned out, are not happy really? with the production, are not happy with the engineering. Yeah. Um, but then when we made the last record, which is called Ricochet, Ricochet. great album. It was like we just we were given free reign. You know, really, the last album didn't do very well, but if you can give us an album for, like, not, doesn't cost a lot of money, we're willing to invest in it. So we made that record, for, that record Ricochet, for nothing in, like, a really yeah. inexpensive studio. And it's just, like, it, it's way, way, way better, sound-wise, sonically, mm-hmm. than everything, than the previous album, Sound, which would yeah. cost quite a lot of money to make, which uh, I won't even go into... The, the so, <laughs> okay, so I gotta I gotta stop you for a second because the last like two minutes of what you've been saying, I have like four You're questions. Ask me about that I, well, I, well, I want. There's a time that I wanted to. I was going to pinpoint about this exact trajectory that you're on. So number one, yeah. laughter comes out in '89, I believe, and yes, that is yeah. to my recognition. I would have been 16 in 1989. That was oh, the okay. highest profile thing that. I have seen you guys do, and I think yep. you're getting heart, you're getting radio play for like where do we go from heaven, yep. right? And into and, the uh, love. Exactly. And I'm seeing that record, you know, on the end racks in record stores and I'm you know what yep. I'm saying? It's it's very visual. And it's such a big sounding album. you say I don't it doesn't in any way feels like feel like a sellout album. It feels like a go for broke album. Let's go big on this. Right. But then sound comes out and I don't mind sound actually because I love I everything like you do. You can say really? whatever yeah. you want. I don't like no, it. No, I can I can understand why you guys wouldn't like it. I personally don't mind it. It doesn't bother me too much. But right. it's a it's a noticeable drop off from laughter. And so I'm thinking it is. if you've just had the biggest success of your life in laughter, 
why are you changing directions, changing producers so much with the next album? I, I don't know. You, you'll have to tell me. Did you feel like success was giving you freedom to try something different? Was it too diff- difficult to kind of stay in the same vein as laughter? What was going on? Laughter was basically let's let's really go for it, and we recorded it at Peter Gabriel's studio, Real World. And mm. Wow, Wallace you did! I didn't was, know that. Yeah, great. that was it. Right. I mean, it was a trip. Mark Wallace, the producer as well, had done a lot of good, you know, big records. He did. Oh man, like uh, he actually done a, a great Go Betweens record at the time. He did Crash by the Primitive. Oh, I love Go Betweens. <laughs> oh yeah, he did. He did. Um, Sixteen Lover uh, Lane, Lovers Lane. Sixteen, he did, yeah. Oh, that's one of the best album. albums ever. Yeah, Mark Wallace is, is his name. He was, and yeah. he was great, man. I mean, we had a lot of fun making that record. We, good. You know, we had, you know, long days, but really good. I don't know, really. I mean, we just wanted to do the best that we could. It's always been the same, really, and like we, because mm. you know, there was a scene that we came from in the UK, and like. Um, a very kind of insular indie scene called C86, mm-hmm. which was like a lot of bands like Primal Scream, The Soup Dragons, yep. The Wedding Present. Great bands. Sure. Really great bands. But there was never a conscious decision to to, okay. to change the sound of the band. It was just a natural, just you know. Because when we, I mean, when we formed the band, we were four unemployed kids from Wolverhampton. There was never sure. any scheme we never ever ever in a million years thought that we'd make a living from doing it i remember telling my my mom at the time that you know that you know you know well it, it looks like we might be getting a, a record she, and she was like oh you're living <laughs> a dream world you do there's no way anyone's going to give you any bloody right. money for that which right. is sort of the opposite that like, the way things are today because yeah, like of course every kid is told by their parents that they're great which, which is no bad thing which is you know yeah. i'm not saying that's a bad thing but but yeah. uh, and my parents were great. I'm not, I'm not saying that they weren't, but the idea that you could be from a working class area like Wolverhampton and make a living mm-hmm. from being in a pop group was pretty crazy. Preposterous. It was yeah. Like, you know, yeah. So, uh, but you did it. So we always basically the point I was trying to make there is we always just wanted to like make the best record that we could without mm-hmm. like selling out or doing whatever. It was just. Everything was evolved naturally to where where we yeah. got, you know, and then it went okay. backwards with sound. But uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, you asked about sound, but I mean, my response to that would be that we didn't choose the best choice of producer or engineer for that record. Andy Paley, who produced it, and I'm I'm, I'm not bad mouthing him, but he was kind of house producer for Sire. He did a lot of records for them and. You know, after laughter did okay, it was suggested that we should work with Andy Paley. And it's funny mm. enough, we recorded it in in London. It was the first time we'd ever worked with an American production and an engineer team. You know, mm-hmm. and it was there was no crossover or points of reference. Like whereas, you know, Stephen Street did our first album, who did the Smiths and did sure. all those. You know, our first album yeah. was made in between. Get this. In between uh, Queen is Dead and Strange Ways, Here We Come. We didn't Whoa. really realize, we didn't realize <laughs> that at the time, but the historical significance. When the shaking starts and the sky falls down, when you're beating hearts, it's the only sound. Right. 
be like talking to Stephen Street having a wow. over dinner and, and he'd tell us these stories about the Smiths and we'd be like, Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the way that's that's the way things are gonna be now. We just No we, way. We'll know yes. that, you know. But Yeah. And, and, this is our then, life now. Dinner with guys yeah. who are gonna tell stories about our rock heroes and we're there too. <laughs> that's nuts, <laughs> right? It's totally nuts. And yeah. then t- Tim Palmer who did our second album had just done a bunch of Big records. He was actually in the middle of doing what we were doing. He did that Tin Machine Bowie album. Oh right! Was, uh, I know, and he would like tell us stories about that. And it was it was unreal. And I mean, he really? went on to be like he ended up doing like he did like Pearl Jam's Ten and U Two Beautiful Day. Oh right, right, right. Okay. Stuff. But I'm still in touch with him, and he's still a really really nice guy. So we went from working with Stephen Street, Tim Palmer, then Mark Wallace, who we talked about earlier, to Laughter. Mm-hmm. And then the the team that we had on sound was just it was just so wrong because all the other people mm. we talk about our old our old Clash records and our old Buzzcocks records and our old yeah you know whereas there was like zero common ground oh man with the guys that produced uh, sound and yeah. I, I think that you know I, I, we can only blame ourselves for it really but. Um, mm. You know, and it wasn't a cheap record. I mean, it was like done at like a really nice studio and mixed at a really nice studio, but it just sound, it does not sound good. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what uh, was going on there. Some of the magic of the previous albums are gone, but to me, the songcraft is still there at the root in a, on most of it. So it's not offensive yep. to me to listen to it, but it would be the last Mighty Lemon Drops album I would pick. You know what I mean? But I yeah. I don't dislike it. I can handle Everybody it. Everybody you, know. you know says the same thing. The Treasure Press Record Guide, which says the same thing as well. They said that it's it said that they sound confused and lost. So okay, so then you got to tell me then where do why do you guys break up? Is it because Sire is no longer behind you? Are you tired of sort of you know slugging it out out there trying to make something happen? Because it's sort of happening, but maybe just not enough. I don't know. You you basically answered my question. I mean, oh, okay. it was you know. I mean, we'd all. It's funny now because now I'm I'm 52 years old now. But at the time, mm-hmm. I was approaching 30, and we couldn't believe we'd spent eight years like basically yeah. making a living from being in a pop group. And you know, we'd all. You know, I I was married by then. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, all the other band, rest of the band had kind of partners, and we. You know, we kind of. I had to put it in monetary terms, but yeah. it was unlikely that we were going to be able to make a living from just being in the band. Okay. And and at the same time, we were all dispersed over various parts of the 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 world. Like Keith was living in Santa Barbara, the drummer. He'd married a oh. uh, a girl from up there. Uh, you know, I was about to move to Los Angeles because my wife's from here, and that's why I'm here. And that's okay. So it was just a logistical, yeah. not nightmare, but yeah. it wasn't uh, going to happen really. And then yeah, it's becoming you know, we did we did do a show in 2000. We did a semi reunion kind okay. of thing where we all got together with the original lineup with uh, Tony yeah. back on bass as well. And uh, 
But uh, that's it, really. I mean, that know. surprises me. I got to be honest, David. I would think, first of all, like I was, I'm noticing there's no active Mighty Lemon Drop website out there. I'm assuming there's no website. That you, there, is a, there is a Facebook page now. Yeah, well, that's how I found you. But usually, if a band maintains a website, then they can, you know, they can still still sell T-shirts or CDs or whatever. But is yeah. there not is there not more interest in having the Mighty Lemon Drops reform and play a reunion gig more often than every sixteen years? We no, we, that's not, we get offered stuff all the time. Like this year, I say you do. Offered, yeah. We do. Um, but you don't want to do know, it? The logistics of doing it, it's like it's not quite as simple. Um, okay. You know, I mean, everybody's got their lives, like, you know, children kind of growing up and stuff. Sure. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to say. I'm not saying that it's never going to happen, but, right. you know, I think right now I don't think it's the right place and the right time for anything to happen. And, I mean, I'm still in touch with everyone. Like, you yeah. Know, no hard feelings. You know, Everyone still gets along no. and stuff. I mean, okay. I speak to Paul most days on like um, we kind of like chat on Facebook and stuff. And uh, Tony, sure. the bass player, lives in London, so I'm I'm actually going back in uh, end of November, December, and I I see him most times. Keith, the drummer, I see quite a bit as well. And uh, so okay. yeah, I mean we're all in touch, but we uh, none of us are. Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually yeah. the only one that's active in. Music. Tony does a little bit. He'll play with friends once in a while and stuff. But what's Paul doing? Ian, he's you know, he has a, a job. He's got two relatively young kids. I think they're like probably about seven and eleven or something. Wow. And that's basically his life. I mean, he's between. What does work he do and, for a living? What's his job? I don't really know. I mean, I have an oh. idea, but he's kind of a, an enigmatic kind of. Uh, Mysterious kind of good guy in some ways, okay. you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he kind of looks that way, and so that's why I'm yeah. asking. So I'm thinking, what is the lead singer of the Mighty Lemon Drops? Is he in some like corporate job now? You know, where he yeah. sits at a yeah, desk yeah, like the rest of us. I, I believe it is. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy to me. That is crazy to me that one of the greatest bands. Uh, you know, <laughs> you answering this question though, it tells me basically everything I need to know. I mean, if it's not top of mind for you guys to continue to work and do whatever it is you got to do to play yep. all these offers and stuff like that, then it really must be a chapter of your life that's more in the rear view, you know? It's not really... I mean, it, it isn't, it on. isn't. I mean, it isn't, it isn't. I mean, you know, when you, you, you have a family and you have, like, a living and a mortgage and stuff to pay, you sure. have to yeah. face reality and do that, you know? And, uh, yeah. But, I mean, oh, but, but Paul, I mean... You know, he finds more stuff on the internet about the Lemon Drops than I do. And he's always, uh -huh. like, sending me stuff. But he, he, he wouldn't send to me something like, you know, he, he kind of likes the way that it was and the way that it ended and mm. the way that nobody fell out and there was no bickering and there was no sure. nothing. Okay. And he would sort of like to keep it that way, which I uh. really, really respect. Yeah. Because, you know, and I mean, and this is in an era where just about every band that we grew up with and from our era and period, are playing sure. again, and you know, and we, yeah. you know, I mean, we got we got begged to play with the Atomic Dustin last you December. Did? In yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm friends. We used, they used to go to the same pub that we used to go to in, in Wolverhampton, yeah. and so we know them pretty well. But 
But uh, Rat, the guitar player, he, he, you know, he's he's mad at me all the time. He's like, "What's it gonna take? What's it gonna take?" You know. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> that is you know, weird I, to me. I, I, I even said I'd do it. I suppose if everybody else was into doing it, I would do it. But I don't know if like the it's the logistics of mm. again of getting it together is. Yeah. You know. So. I'm, well. You know, that's weird to me. I don't know. Yeah. It's too bad. It's a shame, actually. Honestly. It now, is, but I, you I, know, I'm fine with it. I mean, I I do. Okay. I'm involved like in enough music, and I play. Yeah. You know, at least once a year out, and I, I work. My day job is working on with bands and producing them in my studio. Yes. So, yep. so I kind of get my fix and my share. You know. So. Good. That's where I was going next. So we got to talk about what you're doing. I have to admit. <laughs> so there's there's good and bad. I was looking at the list. Of all of the bands that you, I, I assume you <laughs> produced most of these bands, I had never yeah. heard of most of them except, <laughs> except the Soft Pack. I love the soft pack. They're one of my favorite bands of the last like ten years. And you yeah. worked with them? Yeah, oh, yeah, I did two or three times or something. Yeah, it's a shame. You know they don't exist anymore. They don't? No. No, they don't. No. I wondered no. where they went. I keep waiting for this third album to come out. Uh, Matt moved to to Mexico with his uh, girlfriend and he may have even got married, I'm not sure and uh, I think after this, because the, the, the second album, I uh-huh. think it was I think they bro- they broke up just after that came out. I no did a song on that for the second album. You did? Uh, with, Doesn't Bob yeah. Odenkirk have something to do with them? He? Do you know who Bob Odenkirk is? <laughs> the actor is, from yeah. Better Call Saul, and he. You know, I, I saw know him somewhere about. saying that he knew them and was sort of helping them with some management or something like that. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't. I know who Bob oh. Odenkirk is, and I know who the softback are, but I don't know any of any connection. I think he's friends uh, with them. I think he was mentoring them or something. I read it somewhere. Anyway, okay. Right. Continue. That's I'm sorry. Interesting. I did not know that. I've not seen any of them for a while. I mean, I I used to see them all the time. I don't go out as much as I used to, but I would see them around at shows and stuff. Uh, I did... Um, basically, I met them when... Because um, they were on a label in the UK called Heavenly. And I've known the, the guys from Heavenly since the eighties, since since whenever. Mm-hmm. And uh, but Were Doves on Heavenly? Uh, never mind. I'm, oh, I think Doves, I yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. Doves, one of my, another one of my favorite bands of the last twenty years. But yeah, I think oh, they yeah, were on absolutely. Heavenly too. Great, yeah. really great band. Yeah, yeah. Doves, Saint Etienne. Um, oh, uh, yeah. oh, lots and lots of bands. Manic Street Preacher started on Heavenly. There as well. you go. Yes. And uh, 
So, but I did a record with a band from LA who got signed to Heavenly called uh, The Little One. We long for the best years of our lives, so long to an error, dry your eyes. And we don't have a lot to say, outlines of circles on our face, details of certain time and place, and they're on to a different page. And they, they were like, you know, absolutely fantastic bands, like really, really great. Good, okay. I did, I did like two albums and an EP with them. And then they, they, they're on, uh, here they were on, um, what's that label through EMI? Um, oh, God. Uh, da, 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 da. I can't remember the name of it. My memory's so bad. I don't know. Uh, okay. And then they, they, then they got signed to Atlantic to Chop Shop, the, the little ones did. And so basically, okay. Heavenly Records in the UK, they kind of put two and two together when they signed the soft pack, who they, by the way, then called the Muslims. Oh. And they, they changed their name. They, they were advised to change their name. <laughs> yeah, probably a good move, right? <laughs> so, so they became the soft pack. But when I first recorded them here, it was they were the Muslims, and they just got signed to Heavenly. Then, then they did their first album, then there's something that's worth looking out for if you ever see it is they did they did a, a record that it was a really limited record there's only about 500 of them it's called it's um I'll send you a link to it it's uh okay it's called it's called the Newton sessions and it's basically mm. they wanted to do it like a John Peel session okay and they and they, they, they like came in they're like you know how do how, how did you, you did a John Peel session and he was like yeah we did several. And they're like, how did mm-hmm. you do it? And I said, well, you'd basically go in, you'd play virtually live, apart from the vocals. And then mm-hmm. you'd do, redo the vocals, and then you'd mix it in one day. And they're like, right, can we do that? Mm. <laughs> God, I wasn't expecting that today, but I don't know wow. why not. That's so great. We did, se- we did seven songs in a day. And it, it, it's, out, it's on vinyl on Heavenly Records. It's called The Newton Sessions by The Soft Pack. Okay. It, uh, if you can check that out, I think one of the songs is on YouTube. I think is it will be. Okay. To, I think it's "Answer to Yourself" is the one okay. that's on my version of it that I did. So.
So yeah, okay. so I worked in them on and off, and then I did some stuff, and then I did that. Good. Uh, okay. In, in your, I'll look it up. Being the, the single from the second album, which is called Tall Boy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, song. that was recorded here. That was recorded at, at my place. So. No way. And when you so, say yeah. your place, didn't I read somewhere that your place where you're working and <laughs> producing is your garage? Yeah. <laughs> so people just come over to your suburban home, and your garage is so good and so, you know, hooked up it, that they, that's where they make their album, in your garage. It doesn't really resemble a garage. It's like, I mean, to I'm be sure. honest with you, I mean, the city of Burbank doesn't know about this, but there's, like, <laughs> on, on our block, there's, like, three or... On every block in Burbank, there's three or four garages yeah. that have been converted into recording studios. I believe it. I mean, it doesn't yeah, feel like a garage. It's like I kind of, you know, I had a friend who built a studio downtown and he helped me do it. And it actually, you, you can't, you, you forget that you're in a garage. It's just like being yeah. a, a space. But, but it, you know, it's not huge, but it, it does the job, you know. It does the job, good, yeah. Good drum sound in there. And uh, and you can make a living. I, I Do you make a, are yeah. you comfortable? I mean, are you comfortable with... It, how you well, make I'm your lucky living? Because I don't really want to go into too much about my, my you yeah, financial situation. Of course, you don't have but to I mean, do that. I was lucky. Be, well, when the Lemon Drops got signed in '87, I bought a house in Wolverhampton, and mm. then I moved to London in 1991 and bought a place there. Then I was married, and then when I moved here, we bought a place in in '95 uh, at the right price. So I mean. You know, we, you know, and then we also, I have another place and another little studio as well out near mm. the Joshua Tree area. Oh, wow. And uh, I was just out there, actually. I went by the other day. Uh, do you know a band from the early 90s, the Lemon Dots Studio, called Too Much Joy? Do you I've that heard band? of them. I, yeah, I've heard the name. I remember the name, but I don't know if I could recall a song. Okay. So I'm out with Tim and Jay from the band Too Much Joy, who like, live in... San Francisco and the um, set side of Los Angeles, sure. no, So we just went out and uh, there was an old band from the UK called the Mekons. Uh, uh, that, sure, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, they played on Thursday. Wow. And uh, this uh, this club there called Pappy, and it's like a, a roadhouse, basically, but a really, yeah. really great venue. You should check that one out online, by the way. It's it's really, really, it's great. But it was like a dream for me because I bought my first Mekons yeah. record in 1980. So, 1978 or something. Oh, man. I got to meet John Langford, the main guy, and he was really, yes. really, really, really nice. He loved the fact that I was from Wolverhampton as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's just really oh, funny. that's killer. Isn't it great? Oh, yeah. I mean, but, isn't it, it – knowing you're, you're still having these same kind of moments that I'm having talking to you, it just goes in a circle <laughs> round and round. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're all just great. fans. We all just love – you guys do these things that – Blow our minds and make our life better. Speaking of which, I got to put in a okay. quick plug. So the the Mighty Angels. Yep. What is that? Because I've been listening to <laughs> the stuff that's on YouTube, and it's so wonderful.
I love it. Yeah, I love it. Is it is it a thing? I mean, are, do you tour with this? Do you put do you have albums out there that people can buy on iTunes? What's the deal? You can buy there's one basically what it is, it's it's just me exercising my own demons, ghosts or whatever. Like it's like sure. I, I basically do everything on those records apart from drugs. Okay. And I put out a record in two thousand twelve which is on iTunes, it's called the Paint the Town E P. Okay. And, you know, but it was like, I had this thing when I did it. It was, I did it with zero expectations, thinking that sure. if anybody likes it or says anything, that's a plus and that's a bonus. I think sure. that's the only way you can do something like that. And, I mean, I was astounded. that I got some really, like you saying what you just said. Yeah. I got some really good reviews and, like, really good it's wonderful. You know, uh, feedback and I got airplay on it. It was played on the radio, like, around the world. It's amazing. So, I mean, yeah, but, and I've done um, occasion like, I usually play about once a year, like, if something comes up, like, well, um, I'll do it, and I have a, a kind of a, a pickup band, uh, the Mighty Angels, it's from, uh-huh. basically the, a super group of bands that I work with, who I okay. kind of all just, you know, it's all about just hanging out and having a laugh and having a Good. beer and, yeah. and doing it, you know, so... So yeah, we've done you know we've done uh, a few things you know. So it's okay. fun to do. It's like no, you know, there's no. Yeah. Doing it for the fun. There's not no. Well, it's goal beautiful. Or no, you know, we lose like shitloads of money when we do it. Anything. <laughs> <else for us. laughs> but it's <laughs> so fun. That's what a lot of bands yeah. do. So. It's, so it's, uh, it's just time. the most perfect British power pop. It's like the Laws so, or one of those kind of bands that you know that was put yeah. making such great stuff. Trash Can Sinatra's or another band, I think. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. And what's the deal with Mighty? Are you just you just love having <laughs> bands with Mighty in your name or what? Because <laughs> it's Mighty Lemon Drops, Mighty Angels. Well, I didn't. Uh, there's no way I could call it the Mighty Lemon Drops because it's not the Mighty Lemon Drops. It's not the people yeah. involved. But I just kind of wanted the you know the, to keep something that people okay. would recognize it from. And, yeah. Okay. I purposely had the artwork done similar to the Lasser album oh, as well. Oh, got it. Okay. Which uh, I just kind of wanted it to be not thematically linked or whatever, but sure. I just call it upon give it your history, right? Some kind of identity to it, so it's yeah, not just another. Go. I mean, okay. it's so hard. There's so many great bands and great artists releasing stuff all the time that doesn't get heard sure. of and. Uh, you know, and vice versa. There's a lot of rubbish out there. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, I just thought, you know, it'd be something be might be familiar to yeah. some people doing it doing it that way. It's so, so. good. It's so good. Thanks, I love man. It. I, I, I do. I, I, really I love it. it. That's pretty much everything I wanted to ask you. But you got to tell okay. me some of your favorite stories. You got to tell me whatever they are. <laughs> did you did you ever open for one of your heroes? Did you? Have a weird yeah. encounter with someone we love, a good one, a bad one. What are some of the great stories that come to mind when you look back at your 30-year career? Okay, so you're saying opening for bands that you really like. I, I have a good one for you here. Okay. I We were all huge fans of, and are all huge fans of the band The Church from Australia. Yes, yes, love The Church. So... We we basically in 1988 when Wilbur that came out, we, we it was crazy. Like we 
We did like a month and a half with Love and Rockets when they were at their height, oh, like really good, like yeah. huge venues. And that went great. Sure. That was really, really good. Good. And then we had a break and we carried on. We, we basically toured for like three months on that tour. So after Love and Rockets, we, we hooked up with the church. And we did like, it was only like seven or eight shows or something, but they were all in the okay. south. I think after about five or six shows, we got on great, everything was really good and all that. And we played in New Orleans. Basically, one of the bands freaked out and came running in saying, they've done it again, they've stolen our chocolate. And our two managers were like, what are you talking? Yeah. <laughs> and our two managers okay. went, what are you talking about? He's like, look, it's gone, it's gone. I can't, I'm not going to say who it was. Okay. It was somebody from the church. And our tour manager pointed out and said, well, look, look, look here. There's a load of chocolate in our dressing room. It's, it's still there. They're not interested in it. Why would they steal yours? So it kind of went, and it, it kind of got nasty. And it was really uncomfortable. And, really? Um, yeah, oh, yeah. Because they but, thought you um, stole their chocolate. But yeah, I know. And it's like, but you know, the following day, it actually kind of blew over, and the last time day was the last show in Atlanta, and we did all go out for drinks, and everything was kind of all right. But, but it's really funny. About three or four years ago, I went to see the church in uh, uh-huh. San Diego, and I went with a friend who knew them, you know, better than I did. He's like, we should mm-hmm. go back. I'm like, oh man, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they might still be mad there. about the chocolate, right? Well. Is I walk in and it's like, do you remember Dave? And like Steve Kilby's like, oh yeah, the, the, the chocolate incident. <laughs> and I was like, come on. <laughs> and then I met each member of the band and each one, one by one, said, oh yeah, the chocolate. No. Like, that was like 25 years ago or something. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty bizarre. It's like to be that upset over a little bit of chocolate twenty-five years later. That but they weren't actually. They, they were really nice. And, and in right. fact, the guy who instigated the chocolate incident actually walked me out, and we we hugged each other. I think he, <laughs> I think he finally got over it. <laughs> oh man, that is incredible! Twenty-five years of anger over chocolate. <laughs> I know. Oh, I mean, that's so the, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, but for, that, I mean, for the most part, we got on well with every band. The other stories, I can't really think of anything else, you know. I mean, the, okay. the Ocean Blue John Wesley Harding 2 was a really long run, and that was, you know, it pushed everyone to the limits on that one because yeah. we were kind of going crazy at the end of it. And uh, Yeah, I believe it. You know, the but, no, uh, yeah, I mean, we... I'm trying to think that the first two we did here was with the Chameleons and that was amazing.
Yeah, that, 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 and we're like one of the greatest ever. bands ever. Ever, uh, yeah. I mean, can you ever. imagine? We'd never really been to America before, apart from a few days in New York when we got our record deal. And we, we got to tour America as fans of the Chameleons with no. the Chameleons. Oh, in my God. It oh. was just, and, and not only that, but they were like really great guys and we became really good friends. Oh, good. So it was like, man, you know, it's crazy, yes. isn't it? You know. <laughs> Maybe they might be the most underappreciated band of the yeah. eight, of that 80s alternative British, you know, genre that we've been talking about this whole time. If there is a band that deserves yeah. to be gigantic, it's them. Yeah, and I they're know. probably the least known. They are. I mean, they were, you know, I mean, people like, because they got signed to Geffen Records, so Geffen obviously saw the potential mm-hmm. in the Chameleons. And after the two we did, they broke up. They were still contracted oh. to Geffen, and they, you know, they, they did, like, two of them did a thing on Geffen called The Sun and the Moon. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was all right. It was okay. But it was just so terrible. They're four really great guys. They're four, you know, not intense kind of characters, but sure. like really funny, down-to-earth, working-class people. Good. Same. Good. That's, I think, why we got on, because we were very from similar backgrounds on that. Yeah. But uh, there was a little more tension in that band than there was. Mm. You know, our band was pretty easy going and laid back. You know, but, yeah. You know, Okay. I think they were kind of, you know, pre pre emo. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <of> emo. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was a, one other thing before I let you go. By the way, because I know I can like go on forever. But after the Lemon Drops broke up, we were in a band called Blue Aeroplanes. I don't know if you remember that. Band. Yes. Yeah, I have yeah. a couple Blue Aeroplane albums. Yeah. Oh, you I do? didn't realize that. Yeah, I do. Um, you no, know, I was. I, I, I'm on two albums. And me. Basically, what happened was, after, like, in 1991, there was a mass exodus from Blue, like, exit from Blue Aeroplanes. There was a big falling out. Uh-huh. And it was basically G- Gerard, the singer, and the yeah. drummer. And they didn't have a band. So we were, they had the same management as us. So th- they put an emergency band together, which was M- Marcus and myself from the Lemon Drops. Susie Hug from Katie did, so I'd say my No way. That stuff's on YouTube as well. Yeah, okay. Do you know which album you played on? Because they're one of those bands I feel like I should like more than I actually do. I don't mind them, but I don't. I have Spitting Out Miracles, which I like okay. And then I have another album of theirs called... I have Rough Music, which I actually like a lot. I'm on that That one. That's me. That's the one you're on? Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on the single track too, Sugar Dalman. Okay, okay. I, I wrote it and played guitar. I wrote it and played guitar on it. No way. <laughs> that's the album yeah. of theirs that I do really like. Is the Rough Music yeah. album. Oh, that's that was, great. You know, I'll, I'll let you go, but it was it was a weird situation where we were like this emergency band that was put together, and we had all this song, and I I wrote like four or five songs, I think, for them, and. A lot of them were Lemon Drop songs that we weren't going to use anymore. Oh, really? And so I gave them to Blue Aeroplanes, and Gerard, the singer, was like, oh, yeah, I like that one. Can I have that one as well? I was like, yeah, sure. So we we recorded them, like, in a couple of days, I think. We got paid 30 quid each per day or something stupid, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's crazy. And, uh, yeah, there's two albums. There's Rough Music and there's what Life Model is the other one that I have a bunch of tracks on on Beggar's Banquet. 
Okay. So, oh, fascinating. So that's it, yeah. So I've, okay. I've been around the block. Yeah, I can tell. Man, I could go. I could keep shooting the breeze with you for hours about this kind of nah, stuff. you got more important things to do. Well, look, this was a lot of fun, and I want to yeah, thank you so much, David, for talking to me. I've been a huge fan for since I was a teenager, and I've cool, always man. been curious thank about you guys, and I just wanted to hear your stories, and you delivered. Thank you so much. There you go. We're just like four working-class blue-collar guys just playing music and having fun, basically. Yeah. There you have it, David Newton. So much good music in that conversation. Also, I got to put in a plug. He mentioned there about his new band, The Mighty Angels. They put out an EP that I bought, and I'm blanking on the name of it right now, but if you go into iTunes and you look up David Newton and The Mighty Angels, The with two E's, it's $4.95 for five great songs. It's so good. I really wanted to close with one of those songs, but I had to play a sentimental favorite. This is a song called One in a Million. It's off their Laughter album. And this one goes out to my good friends Ben Anger and Ryan Razan. I don't think either of them actually listen to this podcast, but if they do, hopefully they hear this and know I was thinking about them and remembering good times. Also, there near the end, you, met, you uh, heard us talk about the Chameleons. Well, next week's guest is Chameleon's drummer, John Lever. And we talk about his new outfit, the new music that he's making right now that's also really, really good. So if you like that, come back next week and we're going to discuss that with him. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich for producing the podcast. Please find us on Facebook and like our page. You can send me a message on there if you want to communicate. Or you can send me an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com. We'll talk to you all next Tuesday. 